All righty. Lucas, thanks for coming on to the second episode of the Strength Institute podcast. Mate, thanks for having me. Um, just before we get started, guys, uh, Lucas Matters, two-time Winter Olympic bobsledder for Australia, um, but didn't start in bobsledding, actually cut his teeth in sprinting. So yeah. can you just get back into uh, what you used to do in athletics and, uh, and how mm. you got into bobsledding in the first place? Yeah, look, I, I sort of fell into like athletics as, as well as I fit into, fell into bobsled. Like I was playing AFL for, for like my like primary school, start of high school career. And then we were playing a tournament uh, in, in year eight in high school. And, and we ended up missing a couple of like athletics uh, trainings that we, that we got told we had to go to. And next minute I, I went to the uh, training camp uh, or training session and fell into sprinting uh ended up being pretty good at it so then ended up uh doing that for all of high school start of university and um ended up getting you know decent decent results through sprinting in in wa and um had a couple of injuries here and there and then basically uh a friend of a friend gave my details to the the pilot in in calgary uh for the bobsled team and uh, in 2011, I got a message in my, on my Facebook actually saying, and how would I like to go to the Winter Olympics? Um, and I was like, that's a, you know, that's a pretty stupid question. Um, like, what's the catch? Like, of course, I want to go to the Winter Olympics. And he said, oh, you got to run fast. you got to push a sled fast. And I said, look, I can run fast, but I've never pushed a sled in my life. So, um, you know, tell me, tell me where to go from here. And then yeah, awesome. seven years later, still doing it. Still doing it. So if we um, if we go back to your sprinting, you said mm-hmm. you were doing pretty good on the state level and, and competing in athletics. Um, was it just yeah. the 100 meters you were doing or were you doing 200s or anything else? Um, I was doing a lot of um, like, yeah, 200s, 100, 60 meters occasionally. Like 60 meters was only like an indoor event, but we do it in, in outdoors. Um, it was definitely my, more my strength. Um, but yeah, mainly 100 meters and 200 meters competitively. Okay. Um, and I started my career as a long jumper, but then ended up moving more towards sprints. Into the sprints. And what was your fastest time for a 100-meter sprint? Uh, 10.53. 10.53. So pretty quick, yeah. pretty quick. Got it quick. Yeah, some of the young boys right now are running pretty quick at the moment. So 10.53 yeah. doesn't seem so quick anymore. Where was uh, where was that 10.53 ranking you in Australia at the time? For uh, at that time, I think I was ranked just in the top 10. Yeah. Um, so there was, a, there was a few like talks of potentially making a relay team, uh, cause it was just in like coming up to the Commonwealth games, um, in Delhi in 2010. Um, so it was sort of quite an exciting time for me. I was like, oh, I'm running really quick. You know, I've got some, a few, a few doors potentially opening, but again, that, that year I, you know, tore my hamstring, you know, it was six weeks just before national champ. So, you know, missed the opportunity. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And and so when you're trying to make these relay teams, are they sort of looking at usually the top six or seven or you know fastest guys in Australia, and then usually four make make yeah. the team, or they'll have yeah, exactly. specialised hundred meter runners first. Uh, yeah, they'll probably take the top six as like a relay squad, and then they'll sort of rearrange the the combination to see what works and what doesn't. And and yeah, usually they'll take the top four. They they end up making the the top uh, the relay team. Fair enough. But, yeah. And I've done a little bit of research here, and it, it turns yeah. out that some of the most common crossover sports are four sprinters, being bobsled and luge as well. Yeah. Um, did yeah. you ever, and I know the Australian Institute of Sport, they were running some programs on trying to 
convert athletes from one sport to another. Uh-huh. Uh, did you ever get to go to any of the institutes like that and, and have a play around and, and see what you were most suited to? Um, I mean, I, d- I did a couple of like like waste testing camps in high school to sort of see what sports you were suited to, but bobsled was definitely not one that ever came up because I was always so light. But um, I know I know the the AIS did a lot of um, crossovers from skeleton. They were trying to because women's skeleton started as like a, a brand new sport pretty much in 2002. Um, so I know the the girls program had a lot of um, stuff through the AIS, um, but but not really for men's bobsled. It was quite sort of a a thrown together program for us. It was never really an institute uh, program for for the men's bobsled team. Okay, fair enough. And uh, and so you said the first time you're ever in a bobsled was at a race day. Um, yeah. Have you got a few uh, test runs in before the actual race? No, mate. That was that was it. That was my first ever time seeing seeing a sled. Basically, it was at the top of the hill and and uh, got. A sort of a crash course of how to push the thing and and what to do at the end when when the pilot finished and um yeah it was a crazy experience like it was definitely the adrenaline rush the g-force like all the sort of speed and that i never thought i'd you know have to have to go through but get get to the bottom and the pilot says you know did you did you enjoy it and i sort of looked at him like with my eyes wide open saying like that was insane instantly hooked yeah well i would say instantly hooked but it was like a such an adrenaline rush but i was like let me try again let's do another run and you know see what happens so we had another run and you know same sort of thing sort of took me by surprise but you know seven years later kept doing the sport and still here wow and and how fast um how fast are they going down those uh tracks um so like top speeds usually around 140 145 um the whistler track actually is 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 yeah kilometers now the the whistler tracks the fastest track in the world and they've they just reached speeds of like 157 um at the world champs a couple weeks ago so that was that was crazy very very cool and uh and then there's four guys in the sled and you had the captain he's obviously piling it or driving it um yeah the other three positions are there different um jobs for them as well is it really just sprint and get in and and hold tight what 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 are you what are you doing above sled yeah, so obviously the, the pilots, the like every, everyone pushes, so everyone's got their role on the sled to push. Um, the pilot gets in first, and then the, the three guys behind him sort of sequentially get in. So the two guy, depending on where he's right or left, doesn't really matter. He sits in just behind the pilot, the number three behind him, and then the brakeman sits in the back. Um, and basically once they get in, the two guys in the middle don't have a whole lot of job other than just to sit there to be like a a, a, a sack of potatoes pretty much is like we like to say it just um, extra weight in the sled yeah exactly i mean their job's important their job's over in the first five seconds but then you know they're just extra weight and then the, the guy at the back his job basically as soon as we cross the line his job's to stop the sled you know to the to finish at the the finish dock um but basically the pilot does it like i would say 80 80 of the work okay just, wow. like once everyone's in the sled and so what was your position when you first started bobsledding then? I was a brakeman. So I was, firstly, I started in, in spot number three. Yeah. So um, that was because the guy behind was a bit more experienced than me. And then we sort of found that I, I had a bit faster wheels than him. So they put me on the back. And then, yeah, basically for the two and a half years I was doing the sport leading up to Sochi, um, I was sitting on the back of the sled as the brakeman. So my job was basically, yeah, to, to push and then stop the sled uh, at the yeah. end. Fair enough. Yeah. And um, 
And so you're saying weight's important in the sled. Did you mm-hmm. have to change your sort of body shape a lot going from sprinting into bobsled? For sure, definitely. Like, I mean, I had to try and keep – I always had to train like a power lifter, but a power lifter that could sprint a 30 super quick. Okay. Uh, so it was, it was tough. Like, I had to do a lot more weight training, had to eat a lot more. So my, I was gaining a lot of weight. So I probably gained like over the – leading up to Sochi, I gained like 20 kilos. Oh, wow. Um, but then had to try and, you know, stay quick. Um, but what I found was the, the more powerful I got and even the heavier I got to a certain point, the faster I actually became and more powerful, which was, which is quite good. Um, so sort of after 20 kilos, I was actually running faster than I was when I was, you know, 74 kilos. Wow. So, uh, cool. yeah, so yeah, it sort of worked out pretty good. Yeah, nice. And so in terms of training regimen to help put on 20 kilos, you're saying you're training like a powerlifter. I'm assuming there's a lot of like Olympic lifting as well or explosive lifts. Yeah, a lot of Olympic lifting, a lot of explosive, like lots of squats. Like basically squats and power cleans are the bread and butter of a, of a bobsledder. Um, right. You know, getting that size on and, and obviously being able to move the weight quickly. Um, that's that's the ideal, ideal thing. And obviously the beach weights are always important, but I've never had good guns, but, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And so what does the um, training regimen look like then? How many days a week are you in the gym? How many times a week are you uh, on the track practicing with the bobsleds? And where do you yeah. even get to train? Because there's not a lot of snow here in, yeah. in Western Australia or ice. Yeah. So how do you yeah. how do you get that hands-on experience? Yeah. So during the summer months for the, for the winter nations, which is like the sort of March until, you know, I would say like March until September, um, all the tracks in the world are shut down. So all the bobsled tracks, there's no ice on them or anything. So everyone's basically doing the same thing. We're all in the gym or on the track. Um, so like my program used to look like, like four gym sessions a week. So I'd usually do two legs, two upper body sessions, and then have like a, a pure sprint session and then a, like a plyometrics session in there as well. Um, so I usually train like six to seven times a week um, if I can but I try and sort of condense them into like five days of the week so I can have some days off because, you know, trying to fit in, you know, train every day, you don't really get a whole lot of recovery. And sure. one thing I found in training is that recovery is probably the more most important part of training. So, um, yes, yeah, so there would be like two or three days where I'd double up sessions where I'd sprint in the morning or sprint in the afternoon and lift in the morning. And, yeah, um, so usually about six to seven times a week I'll be training. Wow, that's a lot of training there. Yeah, 100% a lot of training, yeah. especially from being a sprinter going from, you know, five days a week to then, you know, five days a week, but then trying to cram in, you know, seven to eight sessions. It's it's tough. Yeah. And um, so that's in the summer months. Uh, mm-hmm. What about in the winter months when the ice is on the track then? Yeah. So the weights usually stay quite similar, but the, the more the sprint sessions turn into sessions that you're at the track because obviously, you know, every day you're pushing a bobsled. Um, and driving like I'm, I'm sprinting I'm warming up as if I'm you know doing a training session anyway so the sprints don't slow down but they change to more pushing a bobsled and um, we spend a lot of time in Calgary and Calgary in Canada has like a, an indoor push facility like with with ice and everything so basically you don't have to go down the track the whole time every sure. time you push you can you can push indoors and and it's perfect they, they open it in July in the summer and then basically um all year round they have this thing open to to practice pushing so we use that as our sprint sessions during the during the winter 
Okay, so you had to actually fly there to get on site to use these facilities and, and tracks yeah. and everything like that. Yeah, for sure. So I, I moved I moved my whole um, my home basically over to Calgary in 2013 because I thought you know leading into the Olympics I this thought this is I've got to be where the you know the hub is of, of bobsled. So um, all the Canadians were training there and most of the the Aussie team was in Calgary. So I moved my whole my whole life over to, to, to Canada for 2013 and then basically fell in love with the place and have basically been here for the, for the last uh, five years. Yeah, yeah, moved there. So you ended up going to two Olympics, the 2014, which was in Sochi, and then the 2018 in Pyeongchang in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said you're still doing bobsledding, still competitively? Uh, at this stage, I took t- this year off just purely to sort of rest the mind, rest the wallet. The wallet was definitely the one thing that, that copped it a little bit. Um, and then to, to really see whether I wanted to continue because, you know, Australia doesn't have a, a program for bobsled. So it's a lot of, you know, on, on us, uh, like our own funding and, and our own organization. But um, I definitely miss it because I, I drive the tourists down the bobsled track. Like I'm here in, in Whistler right now and, um, like today's work, basically I did eight runs from halfway down the track, driving tourists down. And it's, oh, wow. uh, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to sort of get to the bottom and be upset because everyone's super excited when they get out there, you know, it's their first ever bobsled run. And so you're taking people on their first ever bobsled run and, um, you definitely, you definitely miss it. So I don't know, you probably, he might see me back next year, you know, starting again for the, the campaign for Beijing 2022. So I don't know. Very cool, very cool. And uh, how fast are those tourists getting to go on the track if it's just a half a run? Yeah, they, they end up, like, the Whistler tracks are faster in the world, and they end up still going 130 kilometers an hour. So, oh, wow. And yeah, so, you're, so people you're, piloting, get you're piloting that one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the tourist bolts are a little bit different than the normal ones. Like, I, I do everything. I basically drive and, and brake as well. So I do, I have, like, foot brakes. Um, so I do all the job. But, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal job to have, and, and people love it. Uh, the next question is, you started off as a brakeman. Um, did you yep. stay as a brakeman for both of the Olympic campaigns or did you change your position as you became more senior in the squad? Yeah, so uh, like I was a brakeman for the first three years of the sport and then it you know, got to the, after the Olympics and I thought, like, I really want to continue doing the sport, but I'd, I want to challenge myself a little bit. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to Calgary after. So was, this is pretty much like two or three weeks after the Olympic Games in Sochi. I decided to go back to Calgary and, and then jump in a, in a sled to drive. I just wanted to experience it and see what it was like and see if I'd like it. Um, and it was so much fun. And then I ended up going to Lake Placid, New York, driving that track as well. And I was like, yep, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to continue doing the sport, but I want to, you know, be in the front seat. So the, the pilot that, that drove me in Sochi, he ended up competing for a couple of years after as well. So we actually had two Australian two-man teams. Okay. Um, and then he was still driving four man, but I I started just driving two man at the start uh, for 2014 2015 season, and then jumped into the four man the next year and you know developed my own squad and and got, had a couple of guys come with me. One guy that that was in Sochi with me as a brakeman, he came and and joined my team, and so we had we had two teams going for a couple of years after the Sochi Olympics. Okay. All right. And uh, that's great. And then your team went to the 2018. Um, yeah. And then if you decide to get back in there for the 2022 in Beijing, yeah. uh, is it the same deal? Are you going to look for the same guys? Are you going to try to get a brand new team? Yeah. So I've been speaking to the guys that went with me to Pyeongchang and and they're definitely keen to put, like jump back in the sled if, if I, you know, if we 
if, if I jump back in, that they're, they're sort of like, yep, yeah, we want to sort of jump behind you. So I'm sure there'll be a few more people that want to jump on board too. Um, but it'd be cool to get like, you know, a couple of teams running around the tracks and, and sort of get a bit of a program going, which is what we need to potentially get a bit of competition and funding as well. You know, the right. more people we have, the more funding we can potentially get. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, uh, in terms of training, we, we've touched on uh, the gym work that you were doing and the and the hands-on at the track and the indoor facilities. Um, what about uh, any sort of mental training? I think anyone that grew up in the late 80s or early 90s has seen Cool Running, yeah. where the main yeah. guy is sitting in the bathtub, focusing and visualizing yeah. in all of his turns. Is there much mental training from your side of things? Yeah, for sure. As, as a pilot, like the more mental runs you do, it's like it's, it's basically an extra run you can do down the track. So, um so before every session, we'll do a track walk and we'll walk from bottom up or, or top to the bottom and, and we'll walk each turn and we'll like discuss with our coach or like other teammates and stuff about, you know, what the steer is in each corner. And, you know, at first it's pretty hard to remember even which, which of the corners goes left or right, you know, once you learn the track. But then once you fully learn the track, you can, like I could close my eyes now and I could visualize any track that I've driven um, and sort of explain what, what you know steer i'm doing in each corner and and you'll see a lot of you know mental mind runs people will close their eyes and move their hands like this and um yeah so it's it's definitely a lot of mental training for the pilot as as a brakeman you just fire up take take a few scoops of uh pre-workout and, and push the hell out of the sled but for the for the pilot it's definitely a lot of mental training third party uh assured supplements though to make 100%. sure they don't get any contamination. Clean sport. <laughs> Clean sport. That's right. Well, that's really interesting there. So, did that take a bit of time for you to sort of develop that uh, that visualization skill? For sure. Yeah. Like it's it's hard to sometimes close your eyes and picture what you want to see. And um, when you've been down the track so many times, you can see. I could see each corner, you know, perfectly. So, at, at the start, it was a little difficult because I would sometimes close my eyes and be like, "Oh yeah, I forgot which corner. What you know, which way that corner went." Um, but then, but you get used to it after you do a cut, like 10 or so runs down the track, you, you know, the track inside out. So fair enough. So how long are the, uh, the actual bobsled tracks? Do they vary from site to site, uh, yeah. or are they a standard distance? Yeah. So each, each one's different. So like the, the one here is 1600 meters long. Um, then there's like park cities, like a super short one's like 1400 meters long. So it all, it all varies and they all have different, um, types of turns um some some tracks like calgary have a chrysal which is like a 360 degree turn um some tracks will have uphill sections some like some will be all downhill like this one sort of sounds stupid to sort of say a bobster track is not all downhill um but there's some sections that are super flat um and yeah all different types of turn there's there's different um types of steers in each corner so like one corner might be a one steer corner and then there's some corners that are three steer corners. So you're doing like three different types of things in each corner. So right. it's, it's all varied and, and sort of, I guess, like leading into each Olympics, the the host nation will build the track to sort of maybe suit them. Okay. So it sort of gives them the advantage, the advantage. So you normally find that if you go to a German track, the Germans are going to be pretty good at their track. Um, or like the Canadians will be really good in their Canadian tracks. And um, so it definitely, it's, definitely helps to have friends in all different types of nations to sort of get the tips and tricks of the shortcuts of the uh of the track and how to steer it yeah fair enough and um and you said that you had you know you were discussed with your teammates and with the coach 
uh, in terms of coaching, uh, because it sounds like when you first started, there's, there's some, you know, really new people to it. Do you have, uh, is it sort of like captain coaching where the, the head of the team coaches or do you yeah. get external coaches in who are ex-bobsledders or how does that yeah. work? Um, yeah. So when we started, like it was pretty much like the captain coach, like the, the pilot was the coach, the manager, the, you know, the, the booking agent, like he was everything. So he was basically our first point of call to, to, you know, how we train for the sport and how we push. And, and then the more we get to know people in the sport, more people sort of help us, you know, whether it's like uh, firsthand or like sort of, they'll might see us push and say, Oh, next time you push, try this. Um, then we were lucky enough. I was lucky enough to be pretty close to the Canadian team. Um, so then we had a cooperation. Um, so basically they would help us out with sleds, with all that sort of stuff and even coaching as well. So, um, every time they went on a track walk, sort of Australia and Canada would be together. And then the Canadians would basically coach me as a, for free. So, okay. um, so it was really good actually. So the Canadians helped me out a lot, uh, leading up to the, the last Olympics. Um, so basically we had a, a Canadian coach for our, um, for our Olympic campaign. So that was really good. Fantastic. Nice. Um, now going back to the Olympics, what was that experience like? I mean, you're training, especially between, you know, Sochi and, and Pyeongchang, mm -hmm. you've had four years of training, um, yeah. everyone's working hard. You're doing a lot of fundraising to get the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the ability to get over there. Um, what's it like? What's the experience like? How long does it last? How long is, is the bobsled competition portion Yeah. You're going out and experiencing, you know, the, yeah. the area that you're in, or is it all in the Olympic village? How, how does it work? Um, so Sochi, like, it was good to have to have two two games under my belt because I could sort of compare the two. The Sochi was such an experience where I was just like, everything was so new. I was like, you know, looking around like, oh my god, that's over there, that's over there, and like the opening ceremony was phenomenal. Like the goosebumps, like you know, I still get from even talking about, you know, got walking underneath and hearing sort of Australia, and then like all the crowd going nuts, and um, just even in the village, like you go to the dining hall, there's all types of food in there, and then all different athletes from around the world, like the best snowboarders in the world, like Sean White, one of the best snowboarders in the world, is just walking around the village. Like, um, it, it's crazy. Like, it's it's such an experience. Whereas Pyeongchang was the same as, like, it's still a cool experience, but it was definitely, I knew it was going to happen. I could sort of enjoy different parts of it. I could sort of relax a little bit and enjoy the village. And um, basically, we when we get in there, we have the opening ceremony and, and then we have a few days off straight after the opening ceremony because the luge is the first competition on the track. Um, so they cut the ice a little differently for the luge. So they have like six days, I'd say five to six days of competition. And then once they finish, then the skeleton and bobsled jump on board. So sort of about the sixth day on, we're, we're on, the, on the track. And then basically we'll run from day six until – is the last day where the, our, our competition is like the closing ceremony day. So usually we'll be finishing competing and then having to rush to go to the closing ceremony. Okay. Um, so once it's on for us, sort of from day six, it's it's pretty much go time. Um, so it's not a whole lot of, you know, exploring the place we're around. Um, but, I mean, the village has enough cool stuff around it and sort of you're around all, you, you know, cool Australian teammates and, you know, people that you look up to, like Scotty James, you know, one of the, you know, really, a really good snowboarder for Australia. And it's sort of, you get to learn everyone's stories and it's, it's such, it's such a cool experience. Like it's, uh, I wish everyone could do it, but it's, it's you know, it's hard to, you know, That's get around the Olympics. Everyone can't do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
You're part yeah. of a small group of um, people yeah. to, to get together. Yeah, super privileged, that's for sure. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right, so you're in that spot now where you're figuring out whether you want to come back to 2020. Uh, mm-hmm. What else are you doing just with yourself while you're figuring these things out? You're working at the track, taking some tourists around. Um, yeah. What else are we doing? Uh, so yeah, so so I'm working at the track. I'm uh, I'm actually a teacher by trade, so I, I've just transferred all my teaching stuff over here. So you know, doing some relief work and and so landed myself a job for next for next year. Um, and then also started my own woodworking business, sort of like custom different woodworking stuff. So make a lot of serving boards and and coffee tables and stuff like that. So it's Fantastic. it's definitely something I wasn't really I thought I'd get into. But after I sort of decided to take a year off from bobsled, I needed to put my energy somewhere. And, and that's, you know, again, Facebook struck again. I saw something on Facebook and, and I was like, yeah, that's sort of cool. So I sort of decided doing that and yeah, it's taken off a little bit. And that business is called? Bearded Mountain Products. Bearded Mountain Products. Good name. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link all of that information in the description of this video. So if anyone wants to um, have a look at what you're making or, or get something, they, they, can, uh, they can do that. Yeah, that'd be super sweet. Awesome. Well, Lucas, thanks very much for coming on. Just a short one today, but I also wanted yeah. to get your story and background, and um, that's a really awesome uh, story there. I appreciate that, Nevin, and uh, love go to the Strength Institute and get strong, get some gains in there. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right, Lucas, have a good one. Thanks, mate. Yes, bye.